Here is another powerful message from New Vision Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. To hear the rest of this series and others, join us at newvisionlife.com. Let me just tell you this about the Battle of the Sexes series. The name kind of lets you know where we're going with that. But I think it's probably the easiest invite of any series that we will do throughout the year. And so I'd encourage you to think about that because uh, most people really struggle in, in this area. And so we're really going to take a really a fresh look at what the Bible says about what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, why we have so many difficulties inside relationships. And so I, I look forward to, to seeing you back. And, and for some of you that uh, I, I know at the first of the year and, and it was maybe a little crowded out in the parking lot and getting in was a little bit of a hassle, uh, we have a Thursday night service at 6.15. If you've uh, not tried, it's the same service that we have here on Sunday, uh, Sunday morning. And it is uh, just about 200, a uh, little over 200 people are here. It's a little more laid back. So if that kind of fits uh, you and your family, uh, that'd be great. Well, it's good to be back into a routine. Does anybody feel that way? Man, I, I do. We had some time off after Christmas and, and just got away for, for a little bit. And, you know, I found myself at like uh, 3 in the afternoon thinking, I haven't even showered. <laughs> I don't know that I showered yesterday. And then I don't even know what day, you find yourself wondering, and I don't even know what day today is. Like it doesn't, doesn't, I don't even know where, where, where we are. But anyhow, I'm glad to kind of get back into a, a schedule. And we're going to kick off the year this year with a message that is, uh, is a lot different. In fact, what we're going to do today is real simple. We're going to take a test. You're like, oh, that's pretty exciting. We're glad we showed up for that. Uh, and, and you might ask, well, why are we going to take a test? Well, because we're going to see that the scripture challenges us to do that. But when it, when it comes to test, I got to be honest, I just have always had an aversion to test. I don't know about you. You remember growing up in school and you had the achievement test? That freaked me out. Like, you know, you always had to, your, your friends and they said, well, this is what percentile they were in. What'd you do? I don't know. I lost my results. I don't know. I'm not sure where I was. Um, I used to always say, I'm not that good of a test taker. It's just another way of saying you're not real smart, right? I mean, that's kind of what that was about, but it did sounded better. The ACT, remember that one? Yeah, there's a good time. Yeah, no question about that. I, I remember taking my, uh, my learner's permit test. I think it's like 1985, and uh, you, you go to the Department of Motor Vehicles. Uh, at that time, my mom drove a Nissan Stanza wagon. You remember that? Anybody remember the Nissan Stanza wagon? Nice. 138 horsepower. You know, it's ironic. You don't see a lot of those at car shows today. Like, you know, is that a Stanza wagon? Vintage. Very nice. And so my mom is, uh, that was weird. My mom was driving, and uh, my best buddy was there. So we pull up over at the uh, Department of Motor, Motor Vehicles. I go in and take the test. And I remember coming out, and my mom is, is she's in the passenger seat now. Like she's moving over to show a passing the mantle. And, and, and uh, I just remember coming out and going. And she said, what do you mean? You're driving. I said, no, I've, I failed it. She said, you, you failed your learner's permit test? Not that strong of a test taker, remember? We need to go over that again. So we're going we're gonna to take one today. And let's start. I know Joseph told you we're going to be in 1 John, and we are. But before, you might ask, well, why are we taking a test today? Because the Scripture commands us to. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. Let's put this passage up on the screen, and let's take a look at what it says. The Scripture says to examine yourselves to see whether or not you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. And so today we're going to, in some ways, we're going to take a test. We're going to look at four questions. And uh, let me go ahead and tell you, 
before we look at the four questions, here's what uh, could be delivered to you. In other words, I, I think if you're here today and you're kind of in that first five minutes of the sermon, you're like, am I going to listen or am I going to get on Facebook and kind of, you know, whatever. Here's what uh, I hope to deliver today through the power of the Holy Spirit. Number one, I think you could leave here, some of you could leave here with a greater level of assurance of your salvation than you've ever had in your life. And I think that would be a very valuable thing to start off 2019. Have you ever, how many of you flew, let me ask, this, ask it this way, how many of you flew over, over the break? Anybody fly over the holidays? Yeah, some of you. Um, it's a good time. But have you ever flown standby? It's a great experience, isn't it? Like you miss a flight and, and the attendant says, you know what, can't get you out uh, today, but tomorrow we can get you out on standby. Now, you can always tell who's flying standby. You know how you can always tell them? Because they're standing right by the gate. They never sit down. They're pacing, you know, and they're nervous because they're wanting to see whether or not they're on the flight. And then the names pop up on the board and their celebration. You can tell who's not flying standby because they're sitting over there. They're reading, right? They're looking on their phone. Somebody's got a Cinnabon. Hate those guys. And they're, they're a bit more relaxed. But I think a lack of assurance is, is kind of like you flying standby. It's, it's not a fun experience at all. So that could be a benefit of taking this test. For, for others of you, this could be a great tool to, to help disciple your children, your grandchildren, or, or somebody else you might know in your group or just in your life. Because the number one issue that I deal with as a pastor has been throughout the years, folks that are really struggling with a lack of assurance of their salvation. And so would it be worth it for you to spend the next 30 minutes to be better equipped from the Word of God to deal with that? Some of you, I, th I think it would. Um, for others, here's the third thing you could gain. This could show you, taking this test could show you a real a growth area in your life, that the Lord really wants this next year to really bring about some growth in your life in this area. So that, that would be something that you could gain. And then lastly, the fourth thing is uh, for some of you, for some of you today, it could reveal a false assurance of salvation. And nothing could be more important in this new year than really having a clear assessment of the Holy Spirit from the Word of God to where you are spiritually. Nothing would be more important. So I think it's worth taking the test. Would you agree? So let's do that. And, and, and let me say this before I get started. And, and um, what I'm about to talk about is my opinion I think it's based on the truth of God's word, but a lot of people disagree with me, okay? So I, I said that. Doubt, watch this, doubt is not the opposite of faith. A lot of people think, well, if I'm doubting, that, if I have some doubts as it relates to my salvation, that must mean that I'm not born again. Can I tell you that unbelief is the opposite of faith, Unbelief is denying that Jesus is the Messiah. Um, we are going to have some doubt in our life. John the Baptist, if you study the scripture, John the Baptist has doubt. At the end of his life, he he's in jail, and he asked one of, of his disciples to go to Jesus and ask him, is he really uh, the, the Messiah? So doubt will be a, a part of our life in the life of a believer some. It will be present. So you understand what I'm saying? Just because you might have some doubt, that doesn't mean that you failed the test. But here's what's ironic you know many times who doesn't, who doesn't wrestle with doubt at all? You know the people who don't many times wrestle with doubt at all? Unbelievers. Folks have false assurance. Adrian Rogers, who personally I think is one of the greatest preachers that I've ever heard. 
He's now gone to be with the Lord. He was a pastor at Bellevue Church in, in Memphis for years. But he used to say this. He used to say this. He said, dead men don't doubt. That's a fascinating statement, isn't it? And, and you're like, well, what does that mean? He's saying spiritually dead people don't, don't doubt. They don't kind of push into their questions and doubt because the enemy wouldn't want you to do that. And so it's, it's quite different. So let, let's go ahead and, and do this. And, and now if you have your Bible, let's look at 1 John. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a test. Did I establish that? I think it's the most important test you'll ever take in your life. In fact, I believe with everything I am, this is the most important test you'll ever take in your life. Ladies, you remember taking a pregnancy test? Yeah, that's a big test, right? Big te- this is bigger, more important. I didn't mean for you to laugh there. But I have chosen to, for us to work through 1 John uh, because one of the last books of the New Testament is uh, in 1 John. The purpose of 1 John is very clear. It's five chapters, and we're going to go through four themes that you're going to see over and over again, and that's where these questions are based off of. If you're new here at New Vision, um, we let the Scripture guide us. I, I don't stand before you and tell you my opinions on things. I want to stand before you and say, here's what the Bible says about things, okay? So we're going we're to go through 1 John, and here's why we're going to use 1 John for these test questions. Because the purpose of John's writing, well, let me just read it to you. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. Let's put it up on the screen, and here we go. John says this. He says, and, and you might say, well, well, who was John, by the way? Well, John was one of the t- original 12 disciples. He was actually the youngest of the 12 disciples. He was in the inner circle, Peter, James, and John, with Jesus. And so here's what he he says. He says, I write these things, talking about the letter he's just completing. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have what? Eternal life. So John is telling us in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, why he wrote this book. So the theme, if you're taking notes today, the theme of 1 John is that believers might have assurance of their salvation. And also that if we have false assurance that that might be revealed, all right? So here are the four questions we're going to work through in the next few minutes. Are you ready to take this test? And I I would say to you, um, moms, don't look on to your husband's answer or your kid's answers. It's a surefire way to lose your salvation, to be honest with you. I promise you that. Just kidding. Um, Here we go. But but, but I I want you to engage in, in this. Here's the first question I'll ask. Have you made a clear confession. The first question on this test is, have you made a clear confession? And you might say, well, well, why do you ask? First John chapter 2, verse 23, this is one of the themes that John has uh, in his book. And the reason for his book is so that we could have assurance of our salvation. He says this, no one who denies the son, what is denying the son? That's unbelief. No one who denies the son has the father. So if you deny the son, Jesus Christ, then you don't have a relationship with the living God. And whoever, look at this, he says, whoever acknowledges the Son, you see it, has the Father also. So he's saying, first of all, this first question is, have you made a clear confession? Has there been a time that you have publicly acknowledged that Jesus is the Christ? Uh, We do that here. One of the ways we do that here is through baptism. Baptism is a way for you to publicly acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God and your Savior. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 10, verse 32. He said, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. So this is a biblical command. And so the question is, have you made a clear confession about what you believe about Jesus Christ? That's a question that you have to to answer. Let me give you an additional passage because, you know, what I would hope more than anything 
or one of the things I would hope for is that moms, dads, grandparents would, you know, maybe even save these notes. Look at these passages. And when you have a child, a grandchild, a coworker, or a neighbor who's struggling uh, with some, some doubt, instead of just talking about how they're feeling, instead of just going back to an experience they had some 25 years ago, you could take them to the Word. And, and share these passages. Another passage is Romans 10, 19 that, that deals with acknowledging uh, Jesus publicly. Now, let's press a little bit deeper. 1 John chapter 5, verse 1. We're still wrestling with this question, have I made a clear confession? Okay, we're still dealing with That's the first question on the test. All right, but now we're going to kind of understand from John what it is that we're confessing, okay? What is it that I'm actually confessing? Because we can confess a lot of things, right? I can confess that I'm married to Amy, which is true, right? That's a good thing to, to, to do. My wedding ring does that, you know? I can confess that I'm a cowboy. I'm wearing boots here. First John, First John chapter, some of our confessions aren't true. That's my point. First John chapter 5 verse 1. Here's, here's how he clarifies our confession. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, that word Christ is, is, is his title, Messiah, long-awaited Savior, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is, what does he say, is born of God. Now, this is an important word to press into. He says, everyone who believes. What does that word believe mean? The word believe, please catch this, the word believe is just not an intellectual belief. It is more than that. It is a trust. It means that I'm so convinced of something I would stake my life upon it. You see that? It's not just this intellectual understanding. The Bible says the devil believes. Do you understand this today? I say this a lot of times and people look at me like I'm crazy. The devil is a better believer in Christ than anybody inside this room. But this word belief, it really, this means that I have completely trusted in Christ. Now, this is a pet peeve of mine. I'm going to talk about this idea of belief. People say, well, well, the gospel is just so simple. Now, there's a sense that that's true, and then there's a sense that that's not true at all. Because what John is saying is anyone who believes or anyone who trusts in Christ is saying that you're staking your entire eternity on the work of someone else. Now, let me ask you another question. Any of you ever skydived? Any of you ever gone skydiving? Why is it that the people who skydive are so, hey, it looks like you'd be bold with that. Yeah. I haven't. Um, and I never will, um, to be honest with you. Uh, you I, I was talking to somebody Thursday night in the Thursday night service, and they said they drove down to Manchester, which is 45 minutes down the road, and got in a rickety plane, went up to 10,000 feet, and they were skydiving. Now, if, if I went skydiving, it would probably look a little bit like uh, like this video that I want to show you. No! Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! Let's go ahead and cut that now. She says something that uh, we don't really need to have in church. <laughs> that would be me, right? I mean, that is intense. So I was, uh, after the service, I was talking to the lady, and she, she's like, the last person I would think would ever go skydiving, and I said, well, tell me about it. And she said, well, they, you know, when it's your first dive, then they, they strap you in to someone else. And, you know, she says, there you are hanging out over the plane. And they just say, you know, put one step out, step, step out or not, or they'll just push you out. And I said, what did you do? She said, I just screamed. 
until I couldn't scream any longer. I, I said, what part did you have in that? She said, nothing. You know, so, so here's my point. Well, people say, well, the gospel is just so simple. Do you understand trusting Christ is a lot like skydiving? Truly trusting Christ is saying, I am trusting my entire eternity on one thing, the work of Jesus Christ on my behalf, what he did on the cross and his resurrection to pay my sin debt in full. That's, that's what it means. Now, that is intense, isn't it? And see, some of you are, are not there yet because you, you've got some concerns about who Christ is. Like, you know, and, and, I, and I get that. Like, if I went skydiving, I would be concerned about the 16-year-old who packed my parachute. My hope is he wouldn't be higher than I'm going to be at 10,000 feet when he packed it, right? I mean, that would be, that would be my luck, you know? I'm, I'm going to ask a lot of questions to the guy I'm diving with or the gal. How many times have you done this before? If they tell you, yeah, never. They just called me in this morning. They were short-staffed. That's a problem. Like, I would really want to find out something about who I'm diving with. I want, to, I want to know that they have some experience, right? So I say continue to investigate Jesus. Continue to investigate Jesus. Whatever those questions you have, hey, he can handle them. And, and sooner or later, you know, you'll run out of questions and realize he is the answer. I, I, I believe that. But then the other thing about skydiving, and, and, and I'm not trying to be silly here, but when you skydive, tandem dive, you don't bring your own parachute. They got one. Somebody packed it. They have that. I mean, you don't come and, and bring accessories and like, and, you know, you're, you're, you're getting into the plane and the, and then the guy says, hey, what do you have there? Well, I just, I got my own. In case your pack doesn't work, I brought, I brought my own. Really? Did you pack that yourself? Yeah. Yeah, I did. That's kind of what we do with Jesus. I, there, there are a lot of people, especially in the South that believe in Jesus Christ, would have a, a, a beginning understanding of who Jesus Christ is and even a, a start of an understanding of what he did, but really they're sort of in partnership with Jesus. Does that make sense? Hey, Jesus, that's cool what you did. And I know if I just behave well enough, I behave well enough, and you and I together, then we'll get somewhere. Can I tell you something? If you're trusting in anything, in anything other than the all-sufficient work of Jesus Christ, you've already failed the test. This is skydiving. That's what it is. You see, and I don't know about you, that's, that's not easy. But we get to the point in our life when we, where we come to Christ where we've tried everything else and it doesn't work. The Bible says this in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Look at it just very quickly with me. The Bible says this, For by grace have you been saved through faith. In this, not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works so that anyone can boast. There's a lot there. Can I press into one thing that I, that I hope could help maybe 10% of the people who are here? Because this is where I was in my life. Now, let's put this passage back up again. Ephesians 2, 8. It says, for by grace, what is grace? Let's go over that. Grace is this undeserved, unmerited favor of God, but it is also this, un grace is the unmatched power of God that he wants to bring into our life, okay? I, I grew up with this verse backwards. Now, in my own, I mean, I knew what it said, but I, I just sort of interpreted it backwards. I believe this, by faith am I saved through grace, I felt, I felt like that my standing with God was based on my big faith. And that's why I had so many doubts. And that's why so many people throughout the years that I've sat with that are having some doubts about their salvation. And, they, and we sat down and they begin to visit. We begin to visit and they say things like this. They say, well, I'm not sure when I trusted Christ if I, if I fully understood everything. I'm not sure then if I, you know, knew, knew everything that I know now. And so really what's happening many times is we've just sort of inverted those two words. 
The Bible says, how are we saved? By what? By grace. That's God's part. Through faith. Now, let me say this to you again. And some of you, you you know this, but if you're a believer here, you'd want some other people to know this too, wouldn't you? If somebody asked you today, hey, where'd you guys worship on Sunday? Uh, Thompson Lane. Right out in the middle of the road there? Because all of you probably use Thompson Lane to gain access to New Vision, but you're worshiping at New Vision, right? I'm going somewhere with this. You guys are looking at me like I'm crazy. You see, here's the thing. Grace is the means of our salvation. Faith is the mode of our salvation. In other words, here, worshiping right now at New Vision, this is where we're worshiping. How did we get here? We got here. We accessed it by, by Thompson Lane, all right? So when I understand the big grace of God... And that when I put my small hand of faith into this big hand of God's grace, then I begin to understand the essence of salvation, that salvation is this work of God on my behalf. And my part is trusting in what God has done. Saving faith, you have this in your notes. Saving faith is trusting Christ and Christ alone for your salvation. What I want to push into here, let's go back to skydiving. If you're trusting in anything other than what Jesus Christ has done, we failed the test. Faith is putting your trust where God puts your sin. Where did God put your sin? He placed it on his son. The righteous one pays the penalty for the unrighteous one. That is the message of the gospel. Grace is God's hand reaching down from heaven. And, and you say, well, I don't, I don't feel like I deserve that. None of us do. This is, this is, that's why grace is, is it's amazing. Is that a cliche song, right? None of us do that. That's the nature of grace. Grace is God's hand reaching down for us, and faith is our hand reaching up. So here's the question before we leave it. Have you made a clear confession? Has there been a time where you've made a clear confession about what you believe about Jesus Christ, that you have trusted him and him alone for your salvation? Uh, if not, I think that next step for you is, is when, we, when we leave here today, talking to one of our staff members, going to the Cornerstone Room, let, let's talk about, about baptism. Let's look at the second question, all right? Are you ready to go on? The second question in the test, you guys still with me? Yeah. Here's the second question. Are you growing in obedience? 1 John chapter 2 Verse 1 says this, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, and he is the atoning, that means covering, covering sacrifice for our sin. He satisfies the wrath of God and he covers our sin for our sins and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Isn't that a great passage? That's why we give and we go so we can take this message to the nations. Now, verse 3, we know that we have come to know him. Now, this gets my attention here. Again, what is the theme of 1 John? The theme of 1 John is that we may know we have eternal life, all right? So listen to what he says. We know that we have come to know him. Does that pique your interest? He's about to tell us one of the ways that we know that we have come to know him. We know that we have come to know him if we do what? Keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. Don't you wish John wrote with more clarity? Right? That's vague, John. Could you go a little bit deeper into that? He says, if you, if you claim to know Christ, you came to be a believer, but yet but you're not keeping his commandments, you're a liar, right? So l- l- let's read, read on. Uh, verse 5, but if anyone obeys his word, the love for God is truly made complete in him. Now, I, I want to show you just another passage. And, and again, if you read, and I would challenge you to do it. I would challenge you to read through 1 John. It would take you 30 minutes. And I would challenge you to have your notebook out. 
a notepad out and just throughout the week, just read through 1 John over and over again, five chapters. You'll see these four things that we're going to look at today. They just keep coming up over and over again because John doesn't want us to miss them. Look at 1 John, um, uh, 1 John chapter uh, 3, verses 3 through 6. It says, all who have this hope in him purify themselves. Watch this. What is the hope? The hope of salvation. He says, one of the distinguishing marks, watch me, one of the distinguishing marks of someone who has the hope of salvation is that they have a desire to purify themselves. Now, listen, let's go back. We're already made pure through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, relationally, as it relates to God. When God sees you as a believer, he sees you as righteous as his son. Is that good news? Yeah, one of the distinguishing marks that we have that is we now have a desire, big word, to purify ourselves. We want to be more like Jesus. He's saying, here's how you know that you've been born again. Those of you who have this hope have a desire to purify themselves. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared, so that talking about Christ, so that he might take away our, our sins. And in him is no sin at all. This is what... I could talk about this for hours. In, in the event of the cross, Jesus is crucified outside of the city. Why is he crucified outside of the city? Because he's taking our sin outside of the camp. Isn't that good news? So that we don't have to run into it any longer. Again, and then he, he's resurrected victorious. That was free to the 11 o'clock service. Nobody else has got that. Aren't you glad you're here? Yeah. All right. Verse 6, one of the more difficult verses in the Bible, I think. But one when studied in proper context can be liberating. Now watch it. Listen to what verse 6 says. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Now, here we go. I say this a lot and people think I'm, 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 I'm strange. Can I ask you to, to listen to what I'm about to say? D- do you guys know that I will be judged more severely than you? That's what the scripture says because I'm a teacher of God's word. Right? And so I get it. Sitting and listening to another person talk for 30 minutes is not the easiest thing to do when you've been up late last night or what. I understand that. But please, what we are talking about is huge. And it, and it, and it would take us to really lock in here and engage. It's that important. All right? So watch it. Let's read verse 6 again. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. Let me ask you this question. Can a Christian sin? Yeah, a Christian can sin. Now, here's what I think John is saying. There is a difference between you and I as believers struggling in sin and someone who continues in sin. Can I say that to you again? There's a difference between someone who struggles with sin. What does it mean to struggle with sin? Well, when I walk in disobedience, first of all, I'm aware of that. I'm convicted about my sin. I start confessing that to the Father. Confession means I agree with you, God, that I walked in a way that was disobedient to you. I have a desire to walk in repentance. In other words, I want to turn away from that. I don't want to make that same mistake. I'm at war with sin. Does that, you see that? I, look at me. I am struggling with sin in my life right now today. Okay? You see that? There is a difference between struggling with sin and continuing in sin. Continuing in sin is an unrepentant lifestyle. Continuing in sin is this. It's saying, you know what, I know what God says about this area of my life, but you know what, forget it. I'm just going to do that. And you continue to live in this unrepentant way. And that, that is what John is talking about. And here's what, here's what the Word of God says. Now, this may not be popular, 
But this is still true. The Word of God says if you have a, have a lifestyle of continual sin, then John says not a believer, certainly not acting like a believer. One of the things that people say here that's probably the most cutting remark that I hear is people say, you know, here's what I don't like about large churches is you guys water down the gospel. That's why people come to your church because you water down the gospel. I hate to hear that. I don't think this is watering down the gospel. What I'm saying is so many people think, you know what, because I said, yay, right, God, at camp when I was, you know, 14, and because I said that, I can just live any way that I want to live. John says, no, you can't. If you continue in a lifestyle of unrepentant sin, you need to understand that. That is spiritual lostness. So the question we have to ask is, are we growing in obedience? Now, look at your notes. A change of heart, meaning when I put my faith and trust in Christ, a change of heart will always lead to a change of life. How do I know that I'm truly saved? I think here's the thing, that in some measure, now watch this, some people it's just drastic and some people it's more gradual, the sanctification process. But one of the ways you know you're born again is this: the, the, what you believed in is affecting the way you live your life. Now watch this, this is very important. I know some of you I'm boring you. Good works, I try to say this as precise as I can and we say it over and over again here. Good works are not a, a condition of your salvation, but they are a consequence of your salvation. Can I say that to you again? Good works are not a condition of your salvation. How do I know that? Because we're saved by what? By grace, right? That's unmerited favor. The Bible says we were dead in our sin when Jesus Christ died for us. So it wasn't the things that I was doing well that God said, okay, you're good enough. I love you. I'll forgive you. No. Not at all. So good works are not a condition of your salvation, but good works will always be a consequence of your salvation. That's how you'll know, right? Because you're growing in obedience. Uh, James says it this way, faith without works is dead. Last year began weird for me. Uh, I guess in uh, December, that would have been two years ago, I got a, a jury summons. Some of you know that. I'm like, oh, man, what a bummer. So I have to report for jury duty and jury selection duty um, uh, on the 1st of January last year. So Amy and I were talking about that. I was remember, remembering how last year started. I'm standing out in front of the courthouse. It's cold, hoping I don't get selected for jury duty. And, and I did. And hoping it was just check fraud and it was um, a first-degree attempted murder. Not a good start to the year. And so when, if you've done jury duty, I mean, so you, you, you have all of this evidence and then the weight of that, man, like there's somebody's life in some ways. I mean, for, for years down the road, their life is kind of hanging in a decision you and a group of people are going to make. But here's the thing that we kept being told to us over and over again. The only thing that you can use to, to make your decision is just the evidence you heard while somebody was under oath. So is there enough evidence to convict this person? Can I flip it to you today as we take this test? Is there enough evidence in your life to convict you of the charge of being a Christ follower? The people who know you, you hang with, go to school with, you're in fraternity with, you work with, is there enough evidence in your life to convict you of the claim of being a Christ follower? You see, because one of the signs that we know we're born again is we're growing in obedience. Number three, here's a third question. We're, we're almost done. 
Are you growing in your love for others? Here's the third question. Are you growing in your love for others? 1 John chapter 2, verse 9. This is the third theme that John brings out as assurance of our salvation. We have to wrestle with this. Listen to what he says in 1 John 2, 9. This is vintage John. I, I, I'm kind of nervous about meeting John in heaven because he's just one of those guys who's going to just shoot bullets straight with you, right? Anyway, 1 John 2, 9. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in darkness. When he's talking about brothers or sisters here, I think he's talking about other believers. John says, hey, if you claim to be born again, but you hate somebody else who's born again, you're in darkness. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 through 21, we love because he first loved us, John says, talking about God's grace. Whoever claims to love God yet hates our brother or sister is a liar. Come on, man. Give it to me straight. I did. <laughs> For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. Wow, brilliant. This is inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now, watch this because I could just, we could all be loaded up with a bunch of guilt here, right? Because everybody in this room has somebody, at least somebody in their life that you have a hard time with, right? But just, but are you, are you growing in that? In other words, saying, you know what, I know they're, I'm beginning to understand that they are broken, and I'm beginning to have some, some, some empathy and some compassion for them that I never had before. So here it is. Am I starting? Do I, do I notice? Here's signs that I'm born again. I notice I'm starting to grow in some compassion for other people. I'm beginning to be a bit more patient with other people. This was, this was so hard for me in my spiritual journey. I've been in the church my whole life. I mean, from the... I mean, I was in, I've been in church the whole life. There's not a season in my life that I haven't been involved in, in, in church from a very young age. Can I, can I be honest? What was the most difficult thing for me is some of the people that I knew growing up to cl- that claimed to be followers of Jesus Christ were some of them, the, they were just mean. They were vindictive people. And as I began to study the Scripture, it was just such a hard thing for me. And John says, John's real clear. He says, one of the ways that you know that you're born again is you're growing in your love for others. If you, if you have hatred towards somebody, you're, you're, you're a liar. Am I growing in compassion? Am I growing in my patience for others? Am I growing in my forgiveness of others? In other words, I'm forgiving as Christ has forgiven me. That would be evidence of God's grace in your life. You see that? Are you dying to previous prejudice you've had in your life? That would be growing in love. Can I say something as we begin 2019? One of my dreams, one of my visions for our church is that we would be a very diverse church. That every skin color, socioeconomic background would find a place here. I think it's pleasing to the Lord. Galatians 3.28 says this, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Do you understand that the cross, watch this, I'm moving fast. The cross unites us to God. Do you believe that? But it is the cross, it is knowing Christ being born again that unites us together with other people for the mission of God. Can I just speak just as, I mean, we're studying John, so let's be honest today. To black brothers in this room, black sisters in this room, because of who I am in Christ and because of who you are in Christ, I have as much in common with you as I have in common with anybody else in this room. 
Because what is central about who us is not the color of our skin. It is who dwells in our heart. It is who unites us together. Can I say this? To a black brother who's a believer in Christ, I have way more in common with you. I have a thousand times more in common with you than a white man who is not a follower of Jesus Christ. It's not even close. But are you dying to those prejudices? You see, because we have them. We have them. But as a believer, and, and, and listen, this has been a hard thing. When you travel, one of the things is I speak with pastors in third world countries and get a chance to do that occasionally. Prejudice is not just a problem in the U.S. Prejudice is pervasive in countries all over the world. I mean, when we go to the Dominican Republic, it's the same island, Dominicans and Haitians, they hate each other. Pastors who won't allow, uh, a Dominican pastor who won't allow a Haitian pastor to come and have fellowship with him. And I'm, I'm thinking, this is so far from the gospel. It is not a correct understanding of, of the gospel at all. So are you aware that you're dying to some of these prejudices? That's a work of Christ that is abolishing these barriers in your mind and your heart. You know, I hear people say, well, that's just the way I was raised. When I tell you something in Christ, you've been born again. And that's what, that is what is more impactful to you than anything from your past. I'm not saying that it's not there, but you have a new identity. You have a new standing and you have a new power in your life and a new perspective in your life. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Last thing. Wish you guys had been here all, wish you guys been here all day. It's the first time anybody's even moved. Here's the fourth question. Are you aware of the Spirit alive in you? Are you aware of the Holy Spirit alive in you? Watch this. We're running out of time. Do you believe the Holy Spirit of God is the third person of the Trinity? I'm asking, do you believe he is? I believe he is. Do you believe the Holy Spirit of God comes to indwell believers the moment they repent of their sin and trust Christ? I believe that's what the Bible teaches too. Would it make sense then? Well, let's just read it. 1 John 3, 24, the one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know. Again, this statement keeps appearing over and over again. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. You understand what John's saying? Here's a way you can know you're born again because you're aware that the spirit is living inside of you. We just came out of Christmas. How did Mary know she was pregnant? Well, the angel told her. Well, I would imagine after three months, it wasn't just what the angel said. It was what she was experiencing right inside of her. Wasn't just carb loading on pita bread. Something else was going on inside of her. She was aware of that. 1 John 4.13, this is John's point. If you're born again, the Spirit dwells inside of you. And one of the ways you can know you're born again is you're aware of the Spirit's working in your life. 1 John 4.13, let's close with this. This is how we know that we live in Him and He in us. He has given us His what? Spirit. What is it that brings assurance of my salvation? I'm aware of the Holy Spirit working within me. And so you might ask, please listen, lock in. Can you give me about two minutes? Can you? I'm going to go fast. You might say, well, how do I know if it's the Spirit speaking to me and not just my own thoughts or maybe even my, the enemy that's speaking to me? That's a fair question, isn't it? Have you wrestled with that? Well, let me tell you the first thing. The first thing you can know it's the Spirit is the Spirit will bring conviction of sin. The enemy won't do that. The Spirit will bring conviction of your, your sin. The Spirit will also remind you of truth. Have you ever been talking to somebody and a passage or a fragment of a passage will pop into your mind to share with them? Has that ever happened to you? 
One of the works of the Spirit is to remind us of truth. It's evidence the Spirit's alive within you. Have you, have you had promptings to act in a way contrary to your flesh? Yeah. We, uh, right before Christmas, Amy and, and Clay, uh, my, my son who's 19, we, we ran down to Columbia, uh, Tennessee, uh, just to visit a, a family here in the church. Uh, some friends of ours had lost a, a mom. We went down to the visitation. It was around dinner time, so we, we finished up at the funeral home, and, and we're coming back, and I said, hey, hey guys, you pick where you want to go for dinner. I'm thinking Arby's because my nature is I'm, I'm tight. That's my natural tendency, right? Getting out under $20. And uh, so, I, I, so Clay... He doesn't have that tendency. He's very free with my money. <laughs> he, picks a, he picks a restaurant. It's, 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 it's a, it's a five-star. It's a steakhouse on the square there in Columbia. Any of you Murray County folks, you probably know what I'm talking about. We walk in. This is real. Right? No kid's menu. Because I'm still the dad. Who's, he's 19, but he'll have the chicken tenders on the kid's menu. <laughs> Bring us the coloring page and the crayons. We're going to stick it in our grandkids' stocking for Christmas. That's what we do. And uh, so we're eating. We're eating, and a, and a family comes in at the table kind of right beside us. Mom, dad, six or seven, a bunch of kids. Obviously, they had adopted both of them from another country and, and could tell that they had some uh, special needs, had surgeries that had been performed. Uh, I'm eating, and I'm thinking, I, I did, in my mind, this overwhelming, overwhelming thought, by their dinner, well, that's just me. No, no, no. And it just wouldn't go. You need, you need, you need, to, you need to buy their dinner. And it just would not go away. Uh, just this overwhelming prompting. And I don't have, I'm tight. I don't have that. And so um, I'd like to tell you that I bought their dinner. But I left there and I didn't. Some of you were like, what? Why are we here? Alan Jackson would have bought their dinner. <laughs> Probably would have. <laughs> I didn't. I'm 10, 15 minutes down the road getting back close to here, and it just would not go away. It would not go away. And so I just, I just I said to Amy, I said, can you just call the restaurant for me? I, I, this is, I just believe this is the Holy Spirit and um, I just need to buy those folks dinner and so I, I'm on the phone with the, the lady that, that's greeting and I explained the family yes they're still here and I said um, have they checked out she said no their bill's still open <clears throat> I said well I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay for it and she, she says well just you know you can swing by I said I, I'm not swinging by I'm a guy I can't reverse course I, um, so I said I'm just going to give you my card so, like, giving somebody you don't know, 18-year-old in a city you don't live in, your debit number so she can write it down. And I know what you're thinking, not a good move. But, and this is what my wife said. If the Holy Spirit's leading you to do it, the Holy Spirit can protect your checking account, too. I said, ah, woman. You want to put a tip on there? Yes, for crying out loud. You're killing me. Yes, 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 Lord. Why did I tell you that story? It's just contrary to me. Any of you know me? If you've gone to dinner with me, Richard, you know, I'm tight. I got alligator arms. I'm not buying. 
What is, what's happened in your life recently that is just so contrary to your, to your flesh, to your nature, that's just the only evidence is just God's spirit alive within you? What is it? Here's what I believe about the church today, and it's a hard thing to say. The church in the South especially. I think the problem is inoculation. What is an inoculation? An inoculation, a vaccination, or an immunization, really same thing. It's taking some of the virus or the bacteria and injecting it in a person's body so that we would build up antibodies so that we would not get the real thing. I am not so sure that many of us haven't just been inoculated with religion. We know intellectually some things about God. But what we need is a full-on dose of Jesus. How'd you do on the test? Hey, if you're here and you're wrestling with it and and you're thinking, I I don't know. To be honest, I feel like I failed the test. I've got good news. I know one who's passed it. I know one who's passed it in every way. And there wouldn't be anything that would please him more than to take his score and give it to you to start 2019. You want that? It can be yours. Trust him. But remember what a trust is? Skydiving. It's a free fall of faith in trusting Christ and Christ alone. Lord, we love you. Thank you for hard truth. But we believe your Holy Spirit is working and moving in our lives to bring assurance of our salvation, to show us areas of growth in our life, or maybe even to show us some false assurance. And now would you guide us in what you're calling us to do for the next step in all of our lives, for your glory and our good, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we'd like to invite you to one of our Sunday morning services. We meet at 820, 940, and 11 a.m. If you would like more information or would like to watch or listen to more of our services, please visit us online at newvisionlive.com. This broadcast is brought to you by New Vision Baptist Church, where our mission is guiding people to lives of gospel transformation.